Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST, Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you the same. Pat Boyle in the building, of course. Week three in the books, of course. We got some picks combining for an average week. We combined for five and five. Not quite the week two we were looking for. Pat Boyle, I mean, sorry, week three we were looking for. Pat Boyle, though, looking forward to talking to you more about football. Always Monday nights for a Tuesday release. How you doing today, man? Uh, I'm all right, man. Hey, don't let me bring you down. You had a hot week, dude. I uh, had a terrible week, and I got to eat some. I got to eat my words here because it's time. It's finally time to admit that this Giants team is going nowhere fast, and mm. we'll talk about that. I'm, I ain't eating my words on Daniel Jones because he has certainly been the furthest thing from the main problem here. Uh, but we'll obviously talk about the disgusting Giants going forward. But, Oof. yeah, I mean, obviously great slate of games, man. But from a betting standpoint and from, you know, somebody that's been backing the Giants, pretty shit week. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Uh, and to, to recap, you ended up at 1-4, and four, which I'm almost positive that's your first week at 1-4. and four. I don't think you had worse than 2-3 and three once last year. Maybe once all 17 weeks last year. Maybe, and yeah, I think so, I think I think I maybe had one. I think other than that, even in bad weeks, I was able to salvage a two and three. Right, and you know what? After uh, after the one o'clocks, I had gotten two wins, one by the absolute skin skin of my teeth with the Ravens and the field goal and the non delay of game call that happened the there. Skin as well. of your taint, yeah, something like that. It was feeling like it. Uh, so I was like feeling so lucky that I was like, wow, man, I feel like a two and three is heading my way. I don't deserve more of this. And then uh, not only did the Vikings come out and have my back, Kirk Cousins had my back, and they looked awesome and com- uh, defeated the Seahawks, covered the spread obviously easily. Then we got the Packers Sunday night, which I doubled down on my on, on my own time, not on the podcast, and felt great about it. The only thing that let me down was the New York Jets. So what is the common denominator here, Pat? New York football is hot garbage. It's terrible. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. It's bad. It's terrible, and it's been years of just futility, years of it. They're going nowhere fast. They've been literally the two worst teams in all of football now for the last five years. Was it the Giants are 18 and 49 and the Jets are 18 and 48 or, or something like that over the last five years now? Are they basically have the same record? I think they're yeah. both 18 and 49 over the last 67 games spanning the last five years. And they're so bad Fucking at being bad. Terrible. Yeah, and they're so bad at being bad that neither of them have had the first pick. So, you know, it's not even like they've had uh, their fair shot at whatever player they wanted in the draft, and they haven't hit on most of those draft picks anyway, whether it be the second pick, third pick, fourth pick, doesn't matter. Haven't done great. It's just been ugly, and we're going to talk more about them, but I don't want to be super negative yet because we're going to get negative when we get to these Giants-Jets conversations in a minute. What else? Well, you can add something else now. Yeah, no, I just want to throw out like that. It's They've been so bad for so long that in that span, in the last four years, the Browns have gone from an 0-16 team mm. to a legit Super Bowl contender. Yeah. And the 
the Dolphins have gone from a six and 10 team in 2017, you know, dog shit for years before that. And now we thought going into this year, they were going to be a playoff contender made the, you know, was a game away from the playoffs last year. The Broncos were, were have gone from five and 11 to now a three, no team. They look like they're one of the best teams in the, in the entire NFL 49ers have gone from a, a bad team a couple of years ago to a Super Bowl team, Super Bowl appearing team. And I'm trying to think of one other team. The Buccaneers went from five and 11 and four years ago, obviously getting Tom Brady helps Mm -hmm. to a Super Bowl winner. So it just tells you how long the Jets and Giants have been this bad for. What what, can you help help me out here with my memory? When was the year they went 13 and three and had the boat picture playoff, you know, fall apart with the Odell on the boat and whatnot. Was that 15? Was that 2015? Because that feels so effed up if it was that long ago. No, that was 2017. 17. And I don't think they went. Did they go 13 and three that year? I don't know. I think they were 11 and five or 10 and six, and they got destroyed by Green Bay. I'm just making stuff up here, Pat. I'm trying to hold on to any positive memories. And honestly, even in that season, when they did win those games, they didn't score a lot of points, and they did not have a good offense. That was the year... That Odell Beckham, yeah, it was not 2015. That was way too. 20, no, it was 2016. 2016. All right, I was close. There we go. What so was we the, were we were, we split it. We split it there. Yeah, we'll we'll each get a point for that one. Uh, 2016, they went 11 and five, and then lost to Green Bay 38 13. There we go. I don't know why I thought 13 and three for a second, but Odell saved the offense like every other week basically, and it's the only reason that they even competed and they won those games. And we thought Ben McAdoo might be a coach of the future, and obviously that was terrible. And it's the the worst part about it too is. The relentless optimism, I, I don't quite understand from Giants fans. There's an expectation. You know, obviously there's fans on every market, every single season, that are going to be a little bit too bullish on their team. But I don't know why there are still this many Giant fans out here who believe in this organization. I hate that I'm like this. I was having a conversation with our buddy Alec on the phone today, who is, you know, we're like antithesis. Uh, the words have been hard for me tonight. Antitheses? Can't even say Antithes- like antitheses. We're the antitheses of one another. Where he is a hardcore New York sports fan, and he's a fan fan. I don't always attack, especially when I'm doing this podcast, as a fan fan. I think of it more as just an observer and trying to give out my honest opinion, whether or not my fanhood has uh, ag- agrees with that statement. Right. So he's a fan fan, and I am more balanced. Right. And I came into this weekend Sunday just knowing and understanding that the Giants should not be favored um, against basically anybody right now. And I don't know why there was confidence. Oh, it's Eli Manning day. So what? What is that going to give you a boost for two or three plays in the beginning of the game? That the crowd's going to be excited. And like to a lesser extent, and I hate to even like say something like this because it's very sensitive. But when I heard people talking about betting on the Giants after the 9-11 ceremony. I was like, that's a beautiful sentiment. The crowd is going to be amazing, 100%. That doesn't change the fact that this team's not very good. Like, I don't like to look at the team with the surroundings. Like, even today, I heard uh, one of my friends who were playing golf, he goes, um, oh, Dak Prescott's first game at home post-injury. It's like, okay, I don't care if he's playing at home. I don't care if he's playing in the schoolyard. I think he's going to beat the Eagles. It's going to have nothing to do with the crowd being extra juiced for the first drive. Like, some of that stuff just doesn't matter to me. And I just saw this writing on the wall with the Giants this weekend. Being three-point favorites, I'm saying, why? Why? The Falcons just put up points on the Bucks. What have the Giants done? Almost beat Washington? 
miss me with that. I just have no faith, no trust, no expectation for this team whatsoever. Yeah, well, you get to uh, you get to rub it in for me. I mean, sorry, you know, I've I've I, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I mean, it's I, you know, I'm a Browns fan. I'm not even a Giants fan. You know what? You want to know what the biggest thing? And I know we said we're going to get the Giants later, so maybe this is the last thing before we yeah, move on, and then we can it. revisit them later. The biggest thing for me was that I just and and I brought it up because of this reason. This is the main reason I thought. You know what? Over the last couple of years, the Giants have to trend upwards. Is because we've seen teams go from terrible to good in the span of four or five years. Like, mm. it, it, you know, it, it's not necessarily rocket science. You do have to have a good plan in place, and I know that Dave Gettleman now is. Is, is absolutely on the hot seat, might get fired at the end of this year. Who the hell knows what John Mara wants to do? Uh, I, you know, I love he's kicking trash cans after the game. There's somebody posted a picture of outside of his outside of his suite. Oh, look what John Mara did. Kick the trash cans over. Who gives a shit? Why don't you actually speak up and say something for once instead of hiding? But uh, <laughs> the best thing is, you know, because I thought like, wow, the Giants, okay, they were good. Then they were bad. They traded Odell. Like they're starting, like Gettleman talked about building with the offensive line. You think after four or five years, this team is going to be good again. They're going to be decent again. And they just haven't done so. They have gone in reverse or they have just stayed. It's been stagnant mediocrity now for four years, five years, if you will. And it's Mm -hmm. almost like, how can you be this bad for this long? Right. Like the Jets, I guess you can make the same argument, but like we saw what happened with the Jets and you, you knew right away that Adam Gates was going to be a, a dog shit head coach. Yeah. With the Giants, I backed them so much, mostly because I was like, okay, look, they can't be this bad for this long. Like, they're going to turn it around. Like, they're on the up and up. And I was like, let me get ahead of the – you know, I'm not like, not like a bet. But I was like, you know what? I think Daniel Jones is going to have a breakout year. I'm going to get ahead of the curve. I think the Giants are going to be good. We saw how good the defense was last year. I was like, if the defense is even – close to as good as they were, the offense is going to be much better this year. They're going to be a good team. And they've proven me and they've proven so many other people wrong. Yeah, it's true. And I think the reason why I get more frustrated with Giants fans, perhaps it's a little bit because I am a Giants fan, but more so it's it's because Giants fans act as if they are on some sort of higher ground than Jets fans because of what's happened 10 years ago and 15 years ago now. And in reality, in the last five years, very much so the same. Bad franchise. Bad quarterback play. Lackluster talent. You know, discipline not being locked up on all on all ends, right? Like, they're way more similar than Giants fans want to admit. It would be like if the Yankees just won 72 games for the next five seasons in a row and Yankee fans were still trying to say to the Mets, like, oh, you guys are dog shit franchise and we're still the best one ever, like, Yo, no, last last I checked, we're both terrible, so don't say nothing. And it just bothers me when Giants fans try to have, like, an upper level on Jets fans when they're both bad. We should all be miserable together. That's what we do best is be miserable. Let's just do that. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I feel about it right now. But let's save some of that about the specifics with the Giants and Jets because we're going to get to it in a minute. We're going to talk about our three marquee games. We'll call it our big three for today. It's going to be the Chargers and the Chiefs the Bucks and the Rams, and the Packers and 49ers. Three matchups that we all had high expectations for, and I think all three of them surpassed them. It was just amazing football day with those three marquee games. I mean, the Chargers-Chiefs was mixed into the heavy 1 o'clock slate, but we obviously, if you are a man who plays fantasy, bets, just cares about the NFL, 
you have to have an eye on that Chargers-Chiefs game. Bucks-Rams was almost so low. There was only three other games going on. And then Sunday Night Football was fantastic as well. But first, Pat, I have one thing to add. Um, I was at a charity softball event this Saturday for, uh, unfortunately, our brother Manny Caradad passed away just over a year ago. High school classmate of mine, incredibly sad, shocking um, death of over a year ago. And his friends and his loved ones rallied together last year to put on a wonderful softball charity event to continue his name and his legacy. Scholarship, sending multiple people through high school, helping out multiple families. They did it again this year, and it was wonderful. Raised over $30,000 to give to scholarships for kids. Just amazing day, seeing all my people back from uh, Monsignor Farrell High School and just interacting with everybody in his spirit was fantastic, um, which was just a beautiful thing. So shout-out to all the people with the Manny Caridad uh, Foundation, and also shout-out to all the people who I saw there, Pat, who uh, have told me that they did appreciate our picks, and they're enjoying the, the Instagram, and they're enjoying the podcast. Uh, so I got to hear some nice stuff from those people. It was a beautiful day all around on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to share that with everyone and share that with you, Pat. So... From all those people there, I tell the people I saw, they're appreciating what we do here. So thank you to them as well. Good. Yeah, I love that. And thank you guys for listening. And I know yeah, we were texting back and forth on Saturday. That's a, that's an awesome charity event that hopefully you guys continue to do every year. It's obviously for an awesome cause. Yeah, man. And uh, I was thinking, I was like, wow, it would have been really cool to have uh, our little pod set up here. Maybe we could have got a little recording in at the event. Got some, some, yeah, get, some guest picks nice. in. Me and you could have, you know. Shot the breeze for a little bit about some football, watched some softball, and had a great day. Maybe we got to figure something like that out for next year because it was it really was an awesome day. But just wanted to get that out there because it was uh, it was special. So let's move on back to football and start off with the Chargers and Chiefs. We had big time upset. It was a big spread. Pat, you stayed away with this on your picks, and I, I did the same. Actually, no, I did not. That's not true. I had the Chargers in a tease up to thirteen. Uh, what did you think about this game going in? Like, did the spread shock you at six and a half? Because I feel like they're, like, looking back on it now, it makes so so much sense that it was close or ended up the way it did based off the styles of play and based off how much the Chiefs' defense has struggled. So what was your expectations coming in, and what did you perhaps learn throughout those four quarters? Well, one, really quickly, I want to get uh, I want to get this out of the way and on the table first. I admitted my wrong, my wrong take and my just being totally wrong on the Giants. I want to get that out there first because I'm going to gloat about how right I've been about so many other things this year, Pete. Mm, I know one what's coming. Being, I know what's coming. One being the Kansas City Chiefs defense is an absolute Ooh, sieve. That's not what I expected, but yes, continue. Well, that's one. Okay. And we'll talk about more too. The Pittsburgh Steelers are garbage. And I said that. And I tweeted that out today or on, you know, on Monday afternoon um, three, the other big thing that I was right about. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Do you not know? Cause I think I know what you were right about. Do you, oh, the Cardinals. You... Oh, the Cardinals. Oh, I do. Are you talking about yesterday or about an ongoing take that you have that is just being hammered into the ground? Uh, like is never going to, you know, it's, I can't imagine your take becoming wrong at any point. Either way. What, what is it? Herbert. Being better than Tua, you've said it since oh. before day one. You said it since I'm, day zero. Yeah, absolutely. Which now yeah. a lot of people may say, "Oh, well, that's an obvious take, Pat. Uh, you know, it's not that special." Nah, you've been saying it since before anything's happened. You were always no. since the draft, basically, since before last season started. You were on Herbert is way better than Tua train. 
and uh, yeah. vindicated. To say yeah, thank you for reminding me because even I forget about that one. Because it seems so yeah. obvious now, unfortunately. Uh, you know. Yeah, it does. And you know, when you get a when you get a great offense and a great core group of receivers around you, that that obviously helps. And look, their offensive line is pretty mediocre for the most part, honestly. He's just so good at getting the, rid of the ball so quickly. And when you have Allen and Williams, you know, running the routes, they can run and get open with Eckler as your running back as well. Like that's just a completely dynamic offense. So yeah, thank you for reminding me about the Herbert take because that has continued to be proven right week after week. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the other thing was how right I was about the Saints being terrible this year. I think they do finish under 500. I think they do miss the playoffs. That seems more like an obvious take than a reaching take now. Mm. Um and uh, yeah, the Cardinals, I said, they're the dark horse to get the NFC title game. Still very mixed NFC, uh, you know, conference. Um, but yeah, the other one was that I said, this Chiefs team is not going to get back to the Super Bowl this year because of how bad their defense is. And once again, they were exposed. Now, look, it doesn't help when the Chiefs turn the ball over four times. That's the thing that they have to clean up. And it seems like they can overcome it 90% of the time. And they almost did yet again. On Sunday against the Chargers, Mahomes, they fumble their opening two drives. They turn the ball over their opening three drives. Mahomes throws a pick, Unheard Hill of. fumble, Edwards Alaire fumble, and they turn the ball over four times in total. That is not going to win you a game 90% of the time for any team. When the Chiefs, it's like, okay, it's the Chiefs. They can score touchdowns, 21, 21 points in the span of six minutes. We've seen them do it time and time and time again. But even then, now that their defense is as lackluster as it has been, they have that less much of a room for error. And we show, and we saw it against the L.A. Chargers, who is a good team now. They got rid of the Anthony Lynn, who couldn't win a close game to save his goddamn life. Staley no. made some questionable yeah. coaching calls as <laughs> no. well, which we will talk about here. Yeah. So they still Crazy don't shit. have a coach that knows how to just put a game away. And look, I mean, we see veteran NFL coaches. We saw McDermott, what, two years ago in the playoffs – for as good as a coach, he is self-destruct that game against the Texans two years ago in the playoffs. So even some of the best coaches, you know, can, can you, you saying like, what the hell are you thinking in the game? But yeah, that's the, I think that's the big takeaway. The chiefs defense is not that great. And they, they've given up now over 400. I think they only gave up in, you know, a total 350 yards against the, the chargers, but they have given up an average of just under 400 yards a game now through three games against the Ravens, Chargers, and um, and who do they play week one? Cowboys. The Cowboys, yeah. So their defense isn't that good, and I think it's no, going to ultimately bad. cost it's them. A, you, can, you, you said it before. Don't, I don't even think it's right to say it's not that good. It's been bad right now. Yeah, the, yeah, they have a shit defense. Yeah, the only positive for them on defense so far was really like the two Tyron Matthew picks and like, you know, little plays like that where they did make a turnover here or there or a couple of big plays, but like that's going to be – very important for them defensively is to make the big plays to win. Yeah, the and they were battle. and they were missing their and, and they missed their number two cornerback, Traverius Ward, and they had and they had Frank Clark out. So they had some injuries going into that, which and on already mediocre defense. So the Chargers exposed them. That that's the biggest thing. Again, I think that was hammered home. Two is again, they don't and now they no longer have the cushion of being able to just turn the ball over and then score at will and beat teams, even though they almost did it again on Sunday. Uh, three again, obviously Herbert is an absolute fucking stud. I mean, the guy's incredible. You know, he gets rid of the ball quickly. He makes up for a mediocre offensive line. He only took one sack. He's accurate. He's got such a cannon for an arm. He's got a presence. He's not phased by the pressure. Um, 
And then, uh, yeah, I mean, just some of the, again, the late game decisions in this one blew my mind watching this. I'm like, what is going on here? They, they, the chargers and Staley, they go for it. They're going to go for it on fourth and four. They fall start. And you're thinking, um, you're thinking, all right, that's it. Like, you know, time to maybe try a long field goal. No, then they go for on fourth and nine and they get the defensive pass interference call. And it's like, well, how, how does this happen? You're thinking, how the hell does this happen? And that was after the drive, too, where they had first and goal at the one and they couldn't punch it in and they have to settle for a field goal. And then Mahomes gives them an interception. So they go for it on fourth and nine and they get it. And then you're like, and then you're like, all right, just take three knees and uh, and that's it. And kick your field goal. No, then they throw one. Then they throw one basically almost to the end zone catch. It's caught and they have first and goal at the four and they throw the ball again and they score. And they score. They give Mahomes the ball back. 37 seconds. I tweeted right away. I was like, I thought Anthony Lynn got fired last year. What's going on? Like Chargers Chargers fans must have been having PTSD flashbacks, like going into their basement, into the cellar room. Like, oh, my God, it's happening again. Like, dude, they have they have first and goal at the one. Can't punch it in. Have to kick a field goal. They get the Mahomes. Gifts them another interception. And all you have to do is kick a field goal. They go for it on fourth and nine get a miraculous defensive pass interference call. And then they get it down to first and goal at the four. And instead of taking three knees and kicking a chip shot field goal, they throw it and they give Mahomes the ball back again. And then they get away with a, a pass interference call on the Hail Mary on the last play of the game. Yeah. So it just goes to show you like, even then the chiefs still had plenty of chances to win that game for as bad as their defense is. So I guess if you're a Chiefs fan at the end of this game, you still learn that this team can overcome almost impossible odds in almost any game. Yeah. But that being said, their defense is as bad as it's been now over the last couple of years. And I think it's going to ultimately cost them. And this is, this is the thing here's my, my zag on that. Cause I do agree with you right now. My zag on that is the chiefs very much understand what the goal is, right? They all know what the goal is. It's super bowl. They have to win Super Bowls, right? That's who they are right now. That's who they will be when Pat Mahomes is their quarterback. So what do they do from now before the trade deadline to improve that defense? They must invest in basically every year to give themselves the best shot because every single year is the window's open. Every year with Mahomes to this point, the window is open, right? So what can they do to get better? And also, I think one thing that I kind of have been threading so far in week two and three, my two, four and one weeks in the picks is trying not to overreact to these like ridiculous plays and these ridiculous outcomes or these ridiculous, like momentum shifters plays like you just talked about with the multiple picks and like the bad luck and um, the luckiness for some teams to come out with a win in one week. And then the following week we go, Oh, now I'm trying, I'm trying to think of an example off my head, like kind of like the Vikings. Like, like the reason I rode the Vikings um, is because I felt like they were looking better than they were getting outcomes, right? And in this regard, the Chiefs probably played better, even with all their BS that happened and all their negative plays that happened. Like you said, they still could have, should have, would have won that game. And that's why you just trust the Chiefs. Now, obviously, it makes more sense. It's easier to do that with Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense. I just happen to think this Chargers team was set up to compete with them properly with putting pressure on the quarterback that had seven hits on Patrick Mahomes. They only had one sack, I believe, uh, but it felt like he was running around a lot. And uh, you can't overreact to this. The Chiefs are going to have games like this clearly this year where it's going to be tight. Maybe they don't win every single one in the regular season now. They don't have to, per se, even though the division looks awesome. It's no reason to panic for the Chiefs, basically, here. You do have to look at the defense and see how you're going to get better here. But 
all in all, they can walk out of that game and say, yeah, we should have won that. We, we see them again this year, and we're going to win that one. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, if anything, at the end of the year, maybe they're kicking themselves if they don't get home field advantage, which is obviously mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. But, you know, they're, they're not in any jeopardy of missing the playoffs unless Mahomes tears his ACL oh, or, you know, geez. season-ending injury. Right. So, uh, but no, yeah, I didn't bet that one because it was at Arrowhead. I, I would have, if I was going to bet it, I was going to bet the Chargers. Um, but I didn't bet it, one, because it's at Arrowhead. Two, I didn't know if Joey Bosa was going to play. He was a game time decision. Yeah. And we talk about how many defensive, how many players outside of a quarterback can make, can actually change a game. I, I think Joey Bosa is one of those. That's, you know, if he's not, he's right on the border as a guy that can get to the quarterback on half the snaps he lines up. And he could have, you know, he, 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 he pressured Mahomes. He forced him out of the pocket a ton. Um, but I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to wait until. 1230 to see if he was going to play and then right. bet that game if it was at Arrowhead. So Sunday mornings um, are hectic enough for us, man. Sheesh. It's yeah. Hard, it's hard. That, <laughs> that, that if, if I had gotten like eight or eight and a half, I would have definitely taken the chargers, but. Right. And yeah, yeah that's what led me to the enough. 13 in the teaser. Cause I, I had a feeling that they were going to be close and it was going to be tight. I wouldn't expected this. I would never have bet on them to win that game. You know, that's a, that's a crazy move. I do have one more thing to add on the chargers and um, it goes out to all people like me who may have drafted this man and picked up this man in fantasy over and over again over the past couple seasons for him to get, you know, 28 points one week and then two points the next week and then be hurt for three weeks and then come back and moss somebody for one catch for 50 yards and a touchdown. Mike Williams is finally being utilized as a number one true receiver. Not that he's the number one on the team because Keenan Allen's still that dude, right? But Mike Allen is being... Mike Mike Allen, I just combined them. Mike Williams is being utilized as a dynamic wide receiver, and it's awesome. And to all those people who have been picking him up for three years and didn't get him in any league this year, like like me, I feel I still feel vindicated. I've always known that dude had all sorts of juice, and it's awesome to see Herbert using a weapon like him because he's a very different receiver than Keenan Allen, but now they're getting used in similar ways, right, where they're getting hit on every level, and they're beating people on every level, and he's so damn physical Watching him catch the ball and make a play in open field or a short pass and do something with it is great, and it's something that we basically have never seen him be able to do, and perhaps it was just because of opportunity and playing with Phil Rivers for a while there. It's awesome to watch him cook, man. He's really, really good. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I said I think they have a a completely dynamic offense now where they have a ton of different weapons that they can kind of spread the ball all over the field in a variety of ways. And I think like, like you said, now that they're utilizing Mike Williams more and more, you know, he's, he has quietly continued to like now exceed expectations. Whereas like you see him, like you said, you see him go off for a monster game one week and then he disappears the next week. And you're like, Holy shit, dude, like just give me some consistency. Now he's giving that to you and you're seeing how dangerous he could be every Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's going to be fun to watch this Chargers team. We hardly even talked about Justin Herbert. I mean, we mentioned him before a little bit, but he has just been more than what we expected this year. Even though his stats aren't like off the charts, crazy good right now, they're just very, they're just very good. <laughs> so it's not like a, a knock on his statistics so far this year, but he's been even better than the statistics are showing so far. Um, they take on the Raiders on Monday night coming up. This week, they're currently three-and-a-half-point favorites. That's one of those games where it's like, damn, the Raiders look awesome. The Chargers just beat the Chiefs. What's going to give? The three-and-a-half line makes me feel a little bit good about the Chargers, but it is in L.A. 
that might bring a lot of Raiders fans to town, you know? So is that home field advantage? I don't know. But that's going to be an awesome game. We'll figure out if we want to play that moving forward. But I think it's time for us to move on to the Bucks and Rams. Any last words on Chiefs and Chargers? Nope. All right. The Chiefs have... Uh, what do the Chiefs have here? I'm trying to look at that real quick. I'm I think they got Buffalo either no, this they, week they or got, next. They got Philly. They got Philly. And we just saw Philly get abused by oh, the yeah. Cowboys. So for a, an opportunity for the Chiefs to get back on track and uh, maybe cover a spread, though it probably will be like 13 and a half or something like that. No, no way. Is that a, is that a, That's in Philly, isn't it? It's in Philly, but it's not up right now. I mean, do you care? Do you care where Patrick Mahomes plays in Philly or in Kansas City when he's playing this Eagles team? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, if it's Arrowhead, I think that then the spread's probably another point and a half. But uh, at the link, coming off of the loss at one and two, they are going to be one of the most popular bets of the week. I think that spread can, you know, now we're going Simmons guess the lines here. I think that can, I think that can open up at, I think it opened before tonight. I think it opens at, at six and I think a it, half, but that was before oh, tonight. Six. Okay, I was going to say, I was. I thought it was going to open at seven and a half or eight, and it probably pushes to nine, nine and a half by Sunday. I think after tonight's loss by the by the Eagles, it's going to open. I think that gets to up. nine. I think it opens back up at 10. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You think 10? I do. I, I don't think there should be any reason to expect the Eagles' defense, especially if the same, some of those guys are injured again. If Brandon Graham's injured again, if he's still out next week, bro, that's their shot of. Messing, I think he is. I think he's on the IR. I yeah, mean, he's done for at least another couple of weeks. So yeah, I don't know if it's if it's eight and a half. I might bet on the Chiefs to cover their first spread in <laughs> in the past like fourteen weeks, maybe. <laughs> but uh, all right, what what was up? No, that's that. I'm just I'm trying to think of how the Chiefs don't put up forty after seeing what Dallas did. I mean, granted, maybe uh, the Eagles can have a day against this defense. You know, we shall see. But uh, let's move on to Bucks rams That was another marquee game. Again, there was three huge games on this slate here. Chargers Chiefs is one. Bucks rams was the other one. Packers 49ers was the last. We're going to get to that in a minute. This game did kind of go in the way that it was expected in this one regard. Neither of these teams could run the ball at all. The Rams got a little bit of push at a Sony Michelle here and there, but it was really a lot of like three yard carries. It was like kind of helped them a little bit. It didn't really help them that much. Um, it was a lot of passes, 38 attempts for Matt Stafford, 55 attempts for Tom Brady, only one touchdown for, for TB, which was kind of crazy, but their run game is truly bad right now. They cannot move the ball on the ground. And, um, you know, the defense for the bucks, they may be able to stop the run across the board across these three weeks, but, they are giving up big plays after big plays. So what did you learn from Rams bucks and what did you expect going in? Yeah, this one, I didn't catch a ton of, I was on my way driving to the fan on Sunday to produce the Westwood one game. So I was in the car basically from like four 30 until like six 15. Uh, and that drive is always fucking brutal on Sundays. Yeah. Probably um, the Holland tunnel was probably just great. Right. <laughs> uh, absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I watched the highlights. So, but I'm, you know, I, I didn't catch all the game. But I know this. I mean, like you said, they don't have that strong of a run game, but they completely abandoned the run game. As soon as they got down, it was almost kind of similar to what we saw on the on last night with Philly and uh, and Dallas. Philly got down early, and they just decided, you know what, screw it. We're not going to – Miles Sanders, Sanders and, and Boston Scott, we're not running the ball. We're just going to fucking throw it. The Hurts is going to drop back. He handed the ball off three times. And Tom Brady accounted for three of the 13 carries for Tampa Bay. They got behind early and it was almost, they completely abandoned it. 
And, you know, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that against the Rams defense, who arguably has the best secondary in the NFL. And, yeah, Brady was able to throw the ball 55 times and not throw a pick, but, you know, they never really were seriously threatening that Rams defense because they couldn't stay on the field long enough. And, I mean, let's be honest, this is something I've been saying since last year, that Tampa Bay secondary is terrible. They're as bad as the Chiefs secondary. And they played out of their skulls going into that playoff run and through the playoffs, they made their defense look a lot better than it actually was. Tampa Bay secondary is just like the Chiefs secondary. It is their kryptonite. It's their Achilles heel. And it is going to cost them in terms of going to the Super Bowl again this year. So I think Stafford and this L.A. Rams offense right now is the perfect storm. I think that's going to go down as one of the best trades in their franchise history because they can't miss right now. I mean, their offense is so goddamn good with Sony Michelle leading the way. I mean, even then, you know, they carried the ball as a team for 24 times for 76 yards compared to Tampa Bay, who ran it 13 for 35. Tom Brady so at least was their leading rusher, bro. They're exactly. Le- leading that's, rusher. That's, that's sad. <laughs> that's so, you know, the Rams at least stuck to the run game. They're at least able to get, you know, almost th- basically three and a half yards of carry. And that made Stafford that much more dangerous when he did drop back because Tampa Bay still had to at least say, stay somewhat honest to the run. So I think that was the big thing is that this Rams team, this Rams offense is finally for real. They've got an, off- they've got an offense to match how good their defense is. And they're going to be a very, very tough team, man. They're going to be very tough. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. And, you know, I bet on the Rams two weeks ago where they did not cover the three and a half against the Colts. And I expected a lot more out of that offense. They didn't quite do it. They still had a couple big plays and whatnot. And Cooper Cup still had two touchdowns as he tends to just do every freaking week. Um, But I expect an air show out of this Rams offense every week. And that's what we got here. Deshaun. Freaking Jackson, man. Yep. If, if this dude, which obviously it's a huge if with his health, right? If he can just stay on the field, his gravity has to be unreal. I can't imagine trying to play safety and looking out for Rob Woods and Cooper Cup, you know, coming on their crossing routes and their nice intermediate routes where they're both so good in that range. And then all of a sudden Deshaun Jackson sneaks out the slot and gets up the sideline is gone. Or he even had the one uh, crossing pattern where, you know, a nice little rubber out got him open and he bursted up the sideline. He has the burst still. So if this dude stays healthy, and, you know, Van Jefferson's not a bad uh, Deshaun Jackson imitator in some ways, like, th- they have floor stretchers or you know, field stretchers, if you will. I'm thinking basketball for a second. They can <laughs> stretch the hell out of the field. And with Stafford letting it fly like that, boy, it has got to be terrifying to be on an island against any of these dudes in the secondary. And like you mentioned with their secondary being the biggest weakness of the entire team, perhaps outside the run game, that's dangerous. It really, really is. And this is a team that the bucks need to beat probably, right? We expect the Rams to be in it. We expect the bucks to be in it. This is a matchup that now should make you nervous. If you're a big Brady fan, a big bucks fan. Um, And then when it comes down to it, if they can pressure the quarterback, you know, cause the the Rams defensive backs are, are now very different from what we were used to right? If they can get pressure on the quarterback and slow down the run like that, they're just going to be incredibly hard to beat. Incredibly hard. So I don't know. I don't know if it's like fair to say that the Rams are the best team in the league right now, but they're easily the most dangerous. You know, they might not be the most proven because it's only been three weeks of Stafford and this, this whole new setup here. But any single week you look at that team and you go, damn, 
this is going to be absolutely brutal to try and stop them, and it's going to be brutal to try to score on them. And um, I do have a thought on the run game. It's something we talked about last week as well. The idea of passing on early downs is important, right? And the Mm -hmm. more analytically driven you are, the more pro you are passing the ball. Now, people who say that don't say you should never run the ball, that you should just abandon it. Obviously, it's still important. So the Bucks need to figure that out because last year when they were cooking in the end of the year, you know, Rojo had some really good games. Fournette came out hot in the playoffs. If they can't figure that out, and I don't know what it is right now with their run game, but it's looking ugly. If they can't figure that out and you ask Tom Brady, <clears throat> excuse me, to pass 50 times a game, it's going to get ugly for them sometimes because they can shoot out. They can they can score points, but that is not the way they need to control games and maniacally beat teams like they did last year. Yeah, no, absolutely. Brady isn't isn't an Aaron Rodgers, and even Aaron Rodgers isn't isn't even an Aaron Rodgers anymore. I mean, you see how balanced Green Bay's offense is now with Aaron Jones and being able to run the football, and how much more dangerous that makes him when he does throw it. No quarterback in the league is going to be as successful by throwing it 50, 60 times than having a good solid running game that can give you four yards of carry. And that makes a defense have to then stack the box, put seven in the box rather than just playing a nickel or, you know, a nickel or a dime every single play and, and matching up six DBs with five receivers and knowing you're going to throw the ball and saying, all right, we're going to play some soft zone. We're going to limit you to 45 yards of pass. I mean, Brady completed 41 passes for 432 yards. Like, yeah, those are good numbers, but again, they only put up 24 points. If you tell me Tom Brady goes 41 of 55 for 432 yards, I'm thinking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers put up 40 points. And they put up 24. Because even then, they missed a field goal, one. And two, once you get into the red zone against a team like the Rams, like that defense is going to clamp down, and there is going to be so much less room to throw the ball that if you're not running it and keeping them honest and keeping the defense on the field and tiring them out, it's basically just, you know, just stat padding. And, yeah, to that point, another thing that I I thought watching this game is not having Antonio Brown deemed maybe bigger than I even thought, and I've been a huge Antonio Brown guy for this season, you know, coming into the season, as you guys know, from my player prop, you know, future bets there that I have on him, right? But not having him really makes a difference to me because even though Mike Evans, we're talking about stat padding here, had eight for 106, there is less juice with Mike Evans than there used to be. That that man's mm-hmm. taken a lot of hits. He's played a lot of physical football in his day. And the after-the-catch stuff is almost non-existent for him right now. He can still get open and make all the catches that he needs to make. But without A.B., a. you know, being next to Godwin, being that guy who can, you know, take a 10-yard a uh, crossing route for 40 or go deep and take the top off the defense, they, they look a little bit more one-dimensional. Now, Godwin's still awesome. Not trying to say Evans isn't awesome still, but the depth there uh, at the receiver position, we look at as such a strength, but that strength really relies on having basically three number one receivers with Evans, Godwin, and, and Brown. Yeah, so because yeah, Scotty, Scotty Miller and, and Tyler Johnson don't give you, don't strike fear like Antonio Brown does. And even, and even Gronk, like Gronk has had an awesome season to this point. Like awesome, better than almost anyone could have expected. He looks really good. You can't count on Gronk for 17 weeks to be a top he, off the defense guy. He should really and you, be And you can't count threat. on him to stay healthy. And his, right. now he's got now he's got hurt ribs. Yeah, and you he, hope he that he's not missing the play. he's not missing their next game. Basically, the fact that 
you know, Gio Bernard was such a big player in their game, in their game plan. I don't know his snap count, but it felt like he was on the field the entire time. Like, if you started Rojo or Fournette, which I don't know why you would at this point in fantasy, uh, you were just like, why are they not on the field? Why are they getting no fucking touches? Why am I seeing Gio Bernard getting targeted so much? Now, maybe you can equate Gio Bernard to James White, you know, his little uh, dump-off, you know, safety plan there, safety net, but that is not the the Buccaneers' success plan. That's their backup plan. That's yeah. their, oh, my God, we're back against the wall, and that's our outlet plan. That's not where you want to be. Not at all. No, and call me old school. Yeah, I, I get it nowadays. This is the NFL throwing, throwing 40, 50 times a game. I still think the game plan that Dallas Cowboys had on Monday night was absolutely perfect. They ran the ball early. They ran the ball often. They let Dak throw the ball down the field when needed to, and not even – they didn't even throw the ball down the field a ton. They just picked Philadelphia apart with five, six yards per carry and then getting getting eight, nine yards in the air when needed. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that that's a formula that every and, – and again, you know, it helps. It turns out they put up – and again, I, I thought Philly was going to keep that game close. You know, obviously you, can't, you don't want to take too much stock in holding Atlanta to six points, but they were they crushed Atlanta's line. They crushed Matt Ryan. They held a former MVP to six points, and then they shot themselves in the foot so many times and still held San Francisco to only 17. So then, you know, their defense had played well through two games, and they got absolutely torched. And I know the injury, you know, the injuries to Graham and whatnot, but they got absolutely torched by Dallas. And I think it was because Dallas had the perfect balance of run and throw. And I still think you can't beat that in the NFL if you have that great balance of being able to run the ball and then throw the ball too once you once you have teams that, you know, defenses have to stay honest against both. And it goes back to that point of it's this early in the season. We don't know what games from week one and week two fully meant yet, right? We just don't really get it. It's impossible for us to wrap our heads around it all the time. But we think about, like you said, the Eagles after week two and we say, hey, you know, pretty frisky. You know, they're doing some good things. They're keeping it tight. They're competing this. They're doing that. And you might look back and say, uh, like, they weren't really ever good, right? And same thing uh, with the Cowboys where they beat, or they just lost to the Buccaneers in week one. They beat the Chargers in week two in a really tight game. And we didn't walk away thinking the Cowboys were that special for some reason. But you think about the Bucks and the Chargers being two of, what, the six or seven best teams in the league right now, and you go, wow, no, the Cowboys' resume is looking pretty damn good right now. Uh, And that's something that we learned very quickly on Monday night. And uh, now the Rams' resume, even with the struggle against the Colts, if you will, looking really strong through three weeks as well. Going into week four, we have the rematch, if you will. Not a rematch, but the rivalry. I don't know what you want to call it. The Bucs are playing the Patriots on Sunday night. (laughs) <laughs> the line's opening at six and a half. I have a feeling that that is going to bop up a little bit to seven and a half. I think that's going to flip to the other side. Maybe there's going to be a lot of bets on the Patriots, a lot of narrative. Oh, Bill Belichick has probably been waiting for this game, yada, yada, yada. I don't know if I care about that. Right now, I still think that the Bucks are a far better team than the New England Patriots. Six and a half feels low for me, so we'll see what happens Sunday night. We'll see how we feel about that game as we get closer to the weekend. And the Rams. Yeah, that, oh, yeah, go ahead. That- yeah, I'm just going to say that game is going to hinge again on the Tampa Bay secondary because New England does not have a lot of firepower on offense. It's no. been the biggest reason for their trouble this year. Mac Jones, obviously a rookie, 
but again, that Tampa Bay secondary is going to give him some availability and some windows to throw the football. And if he gets confident, if he, if they have a good opening drive and they could put up like a touchdown on the opening drive and set a tone, that game's going to be close to route. You know, if Tampa Bay can get after him and show that good pass rush and get through that offensive line, that New England offensive line, then, then Tampa Bay could easily blow them out. Yeah. I think that first quarter is going to tell you exactly how that game is going to go. Critical, critical. And we'll see if uh, the Patriots defense can, can hang up against that uh, pass attack really. Right. So we think they'll be able to maybe stop the run is the P- Patriots run defense is good. And also the Bucks run offense is bad, but right now I'm leaning heavily towards the Bucks uh, handling that pretty, pretty well right now. Another great game coming up in week four. This one's going to be important to you. Arizona Cardinals at the Los Angeles Rams right oh, now. Yeah. The, the spread. I actually, I was thinking about this last night. Literally after the Packers 49ers game ended, I was like, damn, you know, I wonder what that line's going to be. Before Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal could even guess the lines, I was like, hmm, are the Rams going to be four and a half favorites, five point favorites? It opened up at six points, Pat. What does that tell you about the Rams and the Cardinals now going into week four? It just goes to show you how highly people are on the Rams, regardless of who they're playing. Um, you know, again, this is just this is a matchup that they've owned. Also, you know, I think they've beaten the the Cardinals like seven straight times. Uh, I just pulled it up here. Beat them last year, eighteen seven. Beat them thirty eight twenty eight. Beat them thirty one twenty four. Beat them thirty four seven. Beat them thirty one nine. Beat them thirty four nothing. Beat them thirty two sixteen. Beat them thirty three nothing. They haven't yeah. lost them since since 2017, since the wow. playoffs of 2017. Wow. Or I guess it was the last week of the year. So, yeah, they've beaten them eight straight times. Yeah. And obviously, granted, a lot has changed, and you, you can't look too much into that because you have basically new head coaches over the last four years now, new quarterbacks. But, uh, yeah, six and a half. I mean, I maybe I have to put my money where my mouth is and take the Cardinals to cover that because hey. I think this team is good. I think this Arizona offense is good enough to with Kyler Murray, if they can use him correctly and all the RPOs to get this Rams secondary off balance and be able to put up enough points. But again, now you have the Rams offense is just as good. They're just as much of a compliment to their defense. So I don't know how the, the Cardinal secondary is going to stop Jackson and cup and Jefferson and, and Stafford and the run game. Uh, that could be, you might have 70 points in that one. Mm, yeah. And I think it's, I think it's going to be a good game over unders at 54 and a half. And it's weird because the Rams with this great defense still can give up points, you know, yeah, they can still give up points and look great. It's a weird little balance that they kind of, they tow that line of being an awesome defense while still playing high total games. Uh, and it might just be because of the way their offense operates with the big plays and, and whatnot. So that's an exciting one that we'll definitely be talking about going into the weekend, I'm sure of it. I do tend to lean towards the points here just because the Cardinals have a tendency right now to play these dramatic, exciting games, and I could see them keeping it tight even if the Rams may be in control, a little garbage time, who knows. I'm leaning towards the points, but we got a bunch of days until we get to that point. So let's talk about the Sunday night game, uh, the Packers at the 49ers. I have to tap myself on the back here a little bit. I, I bet the Packers plus three. Now, it got a little tight there. I did feel good, obviously, about uh, covering that plus three either way because it was a one-point game before Mason Crosby hit the game-winning field goal. Um, But in that podcast pick or that pick I made on Instagram, 
I stated how I expect the Packers to come out hot and get a lead. And that's exactly what they did. They came out on fire. Aaron Rodgers looked possessed again in week three. And everyone likes to go to this narrative that Aaron Rodgers, you know, might not care, might not be fully invested. And the guy I'm watching in week two and week three, it is the farthest thing from the truth. This guy looks literally possessed out there uh, when he's on the field, when he's in the zone. Now, can he look out on the sideline? You stare at him and you go, what's up with that guy right now? Is he just, he looks like he's waiting for his coffee at a Starbucks right now. Like what's going on? But I don't know. I'm watching this team cook on offense. I'm watching Aaron Jones get going and I'm feeling confident about the Packers that they're going to rip off some wins. Um, What did you think about this game going in? And what did you learn from a very, very exciting Sunday night football game with the Packers and Niners? Yeah, Pete, give give yourself some more love, man. Do you want to rattle off that that same game parlay you put together? Oh, man, do I ever. Yeah, I do, actually. Sunday night was awesome. (laughs) Sunday night was really good. I had, uh, not only did I have the Packers plus three, I also doubled down and went Packers first quarter, Packers first half, because I really believe that when the Packers are going to win games, it's more often than not going to be because they get out to a hot start and take control early. Now, I actually maybe didn't give enough credit to the Niners in their ability to come back and play this shootout style of game because I said that the Niners are front runners and the Packers are kind of front runners too. And I just expect the Packers to get out in front. Niners fought back. Nonetheless, here's the same game parlay. It was Devontae Adams over 88 and a half, which he crushed. We had Marquez Valdez Scantling, 35 and a half over, which he beat in one catch. And then uh, he's going to come back into play in a second. Again, Packers first quarter spread, Packers first quarter win, which felt like I was double dipping in the same game parlay. Nice little uh, mm-hmm. way to sneak some extra odds in your favor there because uh, it's like the same bet, right? Packers plus yeah. plus a half and Packers to win the first quarter. Granted, yeah. you get a tie and you, you can win one, not the other. Um, those both hit. We had then Marquez Valdez-Scantling to score a touchdown. That was my risky plus odds pick right there. I felt like in week two, he went for Valdez-Scantling a couple times, Rodgers did, and just yeah. kept missing him deep. And they said, it on, they said it on the broadcast that, you know, that upset Rodgers and he wanted to make a point of catching him in week three. And I was like, God damn, Pete, you, what a great pick. You're so good. You're so great. <laughs> I felt so good about that when I heard that. I was like, I was thinking the same thing, baby. So he scored that touchdown late. I was like, oh, my God, all I need now is nine yards from George Kittle. I had plus uh, 50 plus yards for George Kittle. He had 41 going into that last drive. Ripped off a 30-yard catch, and your boy hit a plus 3,700 six-part same-game parlay after hitting the plus three, after hitting the first quarter, after hitting the first half, man. Woo! I was on cloud nine going into Monday night saying, I'm betting the Cowboys first quarter, first half again. And I was just feeling myself, man. Feeling myself. He went what? Woo! I got it. I got it. Hold on. Where is it? Oh, I'm, I lost my uh, sound pad. There it is. He went what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we love that. We loved it. That's that big love. That's <laughs> big love for Petey Peps on the fucking same game parlay, baby. Yeah, man. And you've racked it up again with Dallas tonight. So, or Monday night. So, good Ooh. for you, man. But, uh, something, yeah, no, something I Something bad's going to happen soon. The Vikings, the Packers, the same game parlay, the luck's going to run out. I can feel it. <laughs> okay, you got to ride the wave while you're hot. You got to ride that hot hand. But, yeah. uh, no, going into this game... Um, I thought the 49ers were at a disadvantage because of all the injuries they've taken a running back because mm-hmm. of obviously losing Mostert in the beginning, then losing hasty, then being down, uh, you know, other running backs. Elijah They're going Mitchell, with Trey yeah. Sermon as their number one running back. Like 
that team is at their best when they run the football. They are a run first team still. And they obviously destroyed Green Bay two years ago in the NFC title game when Mostert went for 230 yards on the ground. So when you're going with Trey Sermon as your number one running back, it puts you at a disadvantage. I went with a, a little Patty D teaser. I took the Packers plus seven in the over. So that was that hit. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I, I think Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. And I think that, that bullshit narrative of him not caring or him trying to bring the Packers franchise down. I mean, come on. Like, can we get real lazy? Can we please get real for a second? Mm-hmm. And anybody, this is the reason why the narrative got so intense and so over the top here is because all these people who wanted to dump on Rodgers all summer and, and during the draft when he, you know, really poorly timed his announcement of wanting to leave Green Bay. I'm not going to act like that was some sort of great idea by Rodgers. No, it's terrible and r- rude, realistically, right? Like, just a dumb thing to do. But he did what he did. It is what it is. And when he showed up to camp, I'm like, bro, Aaron Rodgers has way too much pride. He cares about his legacy. He cares about who he is as a quarterback way too much to then just show up and not care. Now, exactly. Yeah, they came out and got smoked in week one. The, the game went horribly wrong right away, and they just started slinging it up, and who cares, right? They weren't going to win. They came out in week two, had some ups and downs, but looked a lot better. And then week three, same thing. Offense looked freaking awesome. Devontae Adams looked freaking awesome. We're out here. The Packers are yeah, going to take care of I'm business. Gonna, I'm going to put it on my money that Devontae Adams has been and is still the number one dog in the NFL. Mm. He is the best receiver there is. His route running is impeccable. That back shoulder connection that him and Rodgers have is literally chef's kiss. Like, holy shit, dude. The fact that they run that at will. And I get, you know, they're picking on a, a 49er secondary that isn't what it used to be. And, you know, they got washed up Josh Norman out there who then got hurt. And you got Emmanuel Mosley playing, you know, and, and Jason Verrett's on the IR. So they're, they're a little banged up a little bit. And But so is, again, so is the rest of the league. So, Good on good on Rodgers and the Packers and the floor for having a game plan and attacking that. And again, I think the way that they've incorporated Aaron Jones into the running game makes this offense that much more balanced now. And, uh, you know, look, once San Francisco got behind, all the credit in the world to Jimmy G, that guy's never going to get enough credit. He's, he's just never going to get enough credit. As a guy that keeps his team in every single game, he's a winner. And outside of him being injured, he's been one of the best starting quarterbacks just in terms of winning in the NFL. You know, I'm pretty sure his winning percentage is still over 700. He's still a stud. He's still porn star Jimmy. He's still out here racking up box, banging porn stars, giving them hell. So he, you know, give him credit. Give the Niners credit for getting back in this game. But, you know, like Jair Alexander, absolute dog. That pick he had, incredible. You knew he was going to limit Debo Samuel. That's why I think everybody was so bullish on Kittle finally having a huge breakout game. And he did. Um but, you know, for, for Green Bay to be up 17 nothing in this game, that game completely turned. They give the ball back to San Francisco, and the Green Bay defense just kind of fell asleep. And they let San Francisco march down the field in a minute and score a touchdown, give Shanahan a, cre- a lot of credit, balls to go for it on fourth down or, you know, the last play of the half. They go for it. They bring in Trey Lance. He runs it in for the touchdown. That completely turned that game. And if not for Aaron Rodgers getting the ball back with 37 seconds left, which is still too much time to give Aaron Rodgers the ball back, San Francisco pulls off an improbable comeback down 17-0 with a minute left in the first half. So you got to give them credit. You know, the Niners aren't going anywhere. I think they're still a decent team. I think they're a good team. I don't think they're an elite team. Um, 
if they can get their running back core healthy, I think they can be along with the secondary, but you know, those are, it's a lot of uh, stuff to overcome right now with some of the injuries they've sustained. So overall, I thought it was an incredible game. And uh, you know, again, for green Bay to lose that lead and then for Rogers to just do it again in two plays with Devonte Adams and then Cro- Mason Crosby, how automatic man, oh. just banging that 51 yarder on the road. Like it's nothing. Oh, that was just such, that was a great game. It was a great cap to uh, to a good Sunday. Yeah, it really was. Uh, it was it was special. And you know what? Back to narratives. It's early in the season, Pat. We talk we're talking about this every single week. You and I are. We're trying to not just look at outcome. It's it's not going to set you up for success if you're trying to make sound gambling decisions. Again, if you're just a fan of the NFL, trying to understand who people are, or if you're people like you and I on microphones trying to assess what's going to come in the fall in the following weeks you can't just look at outcome here right if mason crosby misses that kick what conversation are we having today it's an important thing to just remind yourself constantly like okay the the packers just won that game we're going to come out here and talk all positive all peaches and cream for the green bay packers it wasn't right because they did let the team back in the game they did almost give it up they did win by the skin of their teeth Right, the skin of their taint, if you if you so prefer that. <laughs> but you gotta, I like skin of the taint. You got to remember that because outcomes obviously give us a lot of what we think, but it can't be the full story because there's so much more that happens within these four quarters, uh, every single game, every single week. So another I thing, think to think yeah, I think that's very well said, Pete, and I think that does affect a lot of people's thinking on just how teams how good a team is right. and also with with you know with with sports betting as well i mean again green bay week one you said it they get down early against new orleans they just start slinging shit right they, they knew the game was over literally and taking what, spaghetti and throwing that shit at the wall uncle what probably what probably could have been 28 14 28 10 finishes was 38 3 and we're yeah. and then everybody explodes oh the saints, they are. the saints are sick the packers suck oh now we know everything about the league come on yeah, not, not how it goes. Uncooked spaghetti at the wall. That's what that is. Um, wh- one more thing though on that front. Niners at home again. We I just went through the numbers as home favorites under Kyle Shanahan. They were four twelve and one. Make that four thirteen and one. They're home favorites again. They're opening up at minus three against the Seahawks. And um, my inkling here is leaning towards the Seahawks. And this is mainly the reason. I don't expect Russell Wilson to lose three games in a row. That's kind of how I feel about that. I'll have to do some digging, see if I really like that number or not. It's kind of a shady number. Don't don't love it. The Niners did look good, but that's I'm gonna, my... I'm going uh, to give you some pushback when you're done. Yeah, no, what do you got? Because my next one was the Packers. So what do you got on that? Yeah, well, that that's another thing I forgot too. I said on our first pod, I said, I don't think the Seahawks are going to be that good this year. Yeah, I said, I've been I think, on that. I think it's been... It, this, this window's been closing you know, inch by inch with Russell Wilson and the same formula of a bad offensive line and just having Russ just run around all the place like a chicken with his head cut off and just, you know, and and then just sling shit down to Metcalf and lock it. And uh, now that their running game isn't what it used to be, uh, you know, I I think it's just a matter of time before time catches up to the Seahawks and Pete Carroll and this thing, uh, you know, they miss the playoffs, whether that be this year or next. Uh, So I think this game really could decide the future of Russell Wilson. And I get it. You know, you don't think Russell Wilson's going to lose three games in a row. You know, that's what, that's what everybody was saying. Oh, Mahomes isn't going, Mahomes and the chiefs aren't going up under 500. They're not going to lose at home. They're not going to, they're not going to lose this game. So 
I wouldn't say just the fact that Russell Wilson is, is going to lose three in a row is, is a reason enough to think that it's actually going to happen. Cause I, at yeah, the same time, right. who, who's to say that the Niners are going to lose two games in a row at home now. True. True. It's just, it's just been weird that they're like almost better on the road. The Niners like every year, especially it seems like every year in the beginning of the season, they did this last year too. They went East for a couple games. Last year they played the Jets yeah, and, they had no, and they had no problem and they had no problem winning and they got their whole team injured in those first two games as well. They went East. They played the, uh, the Eagles. Who else did they play? I forget in uh, week one. The, of what last, last no, year, or this, this year, this year, this year. I don't know. That doesn't matter. The Niners week one. Yeah. They played the Lions. Right. Remember they, they were up. Right, 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 right. Yes. The Lions. So yeah, Eastern time zone. We'll count it. But, uh, yeah, that, that's true. We'll have to reassess that one. Because the Seahawks have some glaring issues as well. Um, but on to the Packers. They're home against the Steelers. Anemic offense, just pathetic offense. Pat, you've been on the money with that since the offseason. I, I think we all have been. You know, anybody who came in here expecting Ben Roethlisberger to look good was holding on to hope and old stuff. And the new stuff is telling us that he's bad and it's looking real ugly. And those poor skill players in Pittsburgh who are so damn talented getting no love from that offense. Uh, so six and a half for the Packers at home. Um, you know, we'll assess that one again as we move forward because we got to get to some more stuff here. So let's talk about the Giants and the Jets. Subway Sports Talk, Pete Kennedy, Pat Boyle. You know how we do it every single week of the football season. I don't even want to spend that much time here, Pat. We, we already talked about the Giants a little bit. Let's close the loop there. Here's my only thing. Talking to some friends, assessing people, you know, talking about Daniel Jones, thinking what we've thought about Daniel Jones over the past year, watching Twitter, listening to the radio, listening to podcasts. Some people are starting to say, oh, you know, he's looking pretty good. Like, he's looking all right. Like, he's not making the mistakes. He hasn't turned it over two weeks in a row. That's okay. But here's my question. I stated on Instagram, on TikTok, early in the year, the worst possible outcome for the New York Giants this year is Daniel Jones being average, being incredibly average and nothing better and maybe nothing worse. Because what that does is kick the tire down the road with this same bad setup, this lackluster offense. Maybe it's Jason Garrett. Maybe they don't love Joe Judge like we thought they did. I don't know. I don't know who to blame for the New York Giants right now. They have some talented skill players. They have some talent on defense. Their offensive line still sucks. Daniel Jones hasn't been the problem. But my question is, is he the solution? Because, yeah, he's not making mistakes right now. I don't see him grabbing a game by the balls ever. Maybe he did against Washington uh, with that run getting called back, kind of took the wind out of his sails. But I don't see him being part of the problem right now, but I still don't see him being part of the solution right now. I just can't imagine this offense being good enough ever under Daniel Jones to truly be a winning team. I can't, I can't fathom it right now, Pat. Talk me down. Talk me off the ledge. Yeah, I mean, I just I disagree. I disagree. I think out of all the issues that the Giants have right now, Daniel Jones's progression is not one of them. I think his ability to throw the deep ball this year has been very good. You know, we've seen him drop in some. It's always been a strength for him. Yeah. I'm going to say dimes. You know, I hate the fucking nickname Danny Dimes. I, 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 we've seen him drop in a lot of really good deep balls this year. The Slayton one, an inch overthrown, ball's got to be caught. You know, it's in his tips. Ball's got to be caused an inch overthrown, but his ability to throw the deep ball this year and the run piss option, the RPO, his reads and his ability to be the best running back on this team this year. Also coupled with the fact that he has one turnover through three games. Yeah. 
hasn't thrown a pick yet, has lost one fumble, and is completing 65% of his passes. And his and his and his depth of targets, his depth of throwing the football is like eight yards. He throws the ball on average eight yards down the field on every throw. It's not like he's, you know, they have to settle for these little four, three, four yard, little West Coast offense, bullshit offense routes with him. They're throwing the ball a little bit down the field. The thing is, they're not doing it enough. And the offensive line is still not where it needs to be. Andrew Thomas has been, you know, he's been tremendous. He's, he's graded like the number two tackle in the NFL right now in terms of his pass block efficiency and his run block rates. He's been, at, he's been awesome. The rest of the offensive line is still pretty mediocre. You lost their best lineman in Nick Gates. There's just, there's so many issues right now going on with the Giants. It is a perfect storm of mediocrity. The defense is not as good as it used to be. The secondary, not as good as I thought they would be. Not as elite as I thought they would be. The pass rush, not as good as I thought it would be. The offensive line, probably still mediocre. Saquon Barkley is not the Saquon Barkley of two years ago. I mean, that's just facts. You watch him run the ball. He goes west and east more than he does north and south. Saquon Barkley two years ago would get the ball and fucking stuff it down somebody's throat immediately. He just does not do that anymore. He lacks that explosiveness. And yeah, I'm, I'm fair in saying that Daniel Jones still is not good enough to take over a game by himself. Right. He's not at that level of Josh Allen. He's not obviously not at the level of Pat Mahomes. He's no. not at the level of Brady. He's not, not at the level of Rodgers. Not at the level. He's not of at that level. Dak Prescott. Not I would like, say that's fair. I would like, say he's not, not even, at the level of not Dak even Prescott. particularly close, really. But like, yeah. But what I would say is, <clears throat> he is fine to be the quarterback of this team. He has not been the problem. Like I, I, I don't so let like, me, I don't let know. Me, uh, I, I, let me give I you some it. stats here for a second. Cause I want to, cause ahead. I think we might know the problem. We might know what the problem is and here's some stats to perhaps prove it right now. The giants are thir- tied for 30th with the New York jets in red zone touchdown percentage. That's it. That's it right there. A third of the time they're in the red zone. They score a touchdown in 2020 under Jason Garrett. Here's the theme. They were 30th again. No, I'm sorry. They were 31st. In red zone touchdown percentage, 46%. Not very good. Second worst in the league, right? In 2019, if you go back to when uh, Jason Garrett was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he was 16th in the league, in, or his offense was 16th in the league in uh, touchdown percentage. But if you go back again to 2018, he was 25th in red zone touchdown percentage. So Jason Garrett, Pat... To your point, it may not be Daniel Jones. Not sure if he's the type to overcome Jason Garrett. We don't know if anyone is. Maybe Dak Prescott kind of was getting to middle of the pack, but maybe it's just Jason Garrett. And all these Cowboys fans that we all have in our lives because they're freaking everywhere, when they laugh their ass off at the fact that Jason Garrett from our own division, Pat, became the offensive coordinator of this team and all the Cowboys fans started laughing. Are you serious? Yeah, you're going to love this. The first drive is going to be great. You're going to get to the red zone and you're not going to score and it's not going to be enough and you're going to hate yourself. And that's where we are again. And I don't, I don't know. I can't pinpoint exactly why Jason Garrett's thing is always bad or, you know, most of the time bad because they get there a lot. They just don't finish the job. 
And I don't know yeah. if a DJ Jason Garrett duo is going to get you anywhere, anywhere fast. You're right. I mean, one, yeah, Jason Garrett's play calling still at times is frustrating as all hell. I mean, they threw the ball, like you said, with the analytics-driven play calling now. They threw the ball on first down and second down so many times, and then they get to the red zone, and it's it's almost amnesia. It's almost like dementia. Like, they completely forgot how they got to the red zone. The, re- the run-pass options completely disappear. Throwing the deep ball completely disappears. And... It's just it's just incredible to think about how well the Giants have played in certain aspects of the game and how they are still 0-3 and how they are this terrible. I tweeted on Sunday, the Giants offense before the red zone, elite. The Giants offense, once they get to the red zone, absolutely abysmal, self-destructive. Especially then, this is where Joe Judge comes in, the penalties. This is all we heard yeah, about this Mr. guy. He's so disciplined. Yeah. You know, the fight again, the fight in camp and he makes some run sprints and push ups and, you know, we're not going to we're not going to commit silly penalties. You know, the Giants are one of the worst teams, the, one of the worst disciplined teams in the NFL, and especially in the red zone, shooting themselves in the foot with false starts over and over and over again. That on the on coupled on that on top of the fact that they had fourth and three at the Falcons, 39 yard line, one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Not only do you not attempt a 56-yarder with Graham Gano, who hasn't missed a field goal since 1987, you don't even go for it. You punt mm-hmm. the ball from Atlanta's 39. Like, you oh, have to have balls geez. to be an NFL head coach in this league. We saw it. Even Mike McCarthy, mm. who was a shell of himself for so many years over the last couple of years, now goes for it almost every time. Well, he heard, someone told him that's what you're supposed to do, and he's, you know. Exactly. Harbaugh, John Harbaugh <laughs> goes for it almost every time. Sealed that game against the Chiefs, going for it on fourth and two from his own territory. And the Giants don't even go for it on fourth and three from the Atlanta 39 against a terrible defense. Yep. Like, his conservatism is killing this team. Their and, penalties and- are killing this team. Jason Garrett's play calling in the red zone is killing this team. Mr. And conservative yes, himself. And Daniel Jones Garrett. and Daniel Jones is not at an elite level enough to overcome these issues. He's not. So, but I just I don't understand like what quarterback, who do you who is going to come in here, Pete, and and solve these issues and overcome all these issues that they're having at the quarterback position. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. But if the Giants had if the Giants had Justin Herbert, maybe. Right. But that to the point is what is the end game? plan here with Daniel Jones is it going to be him being the best quarterback in in this division and consistently leading them to division titles I don't see it so if it's not going to be great why are we wasting our time why are we kicking the tire down the road when we can rip the band-aid off well realistically he'll get another year because of the contract right the rookie deal has another year on it Uh, but rip the band-aid off with Garrett after the season look for your quarterback options and do what you got to do because I, I just don't know. I don't know what the what the end game is with this uh, current setup. So the next seven weeks, listen to this, Pat. They got the Saints this week. They're currently, uh, I believe, seven and a half dogs. Yep, seven and a half dogs. Then they have the Cowboys, the Rams, the Panthers, the Chiefs, the Raiders, the Buccaneers. One and nine sound about right. Give them one, two and two and uh, two and eight sound about right, Pat. Give them two. Two and eight sounds on par for a team I thought was going to go nine and eight or 10 and seven this year. Oh boy. That is 
freaking painful. Now, can they beat the Saints? Sure, they can beat the Saints. Can they then go on and beat the Cowboys, Rams, Panthers, Chiefs, Raiders, Buccaneers? Maybe one, one out of six. It's rough out here, Pat. It's rough out here, Patty Boyle, for the New York Giants. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I, mean, I told you I was going to be eating my words here tonight. Hey, and because... th- this is almost not even, like, this is almost separate to your assessments because your assessments are accurate. There's just more to the story that they continue to knock themselves down with, basically, right? And, and again, you know, we try to not get caught up in outcomes. If fucking Dexter Lawrence doesn't jump off sides, they're one and two. Right. If a Dory Jackson so doesn't be uh, three and seven in a couple of if weeks. A, if a Dory Jackson doesn't drop an interception that is gifted to him in the end zone, Atlanta doesn't score a touchdown to make it 14, 14. The giants maybe win that game. They're then, two and one. Then they're four, you know? then they're four and six in week 10. That's not bad. We can live with that. You're right. You're right. That's a fair point. And maybe, maybe they'll steal one or two. And this whole conversation could be different soon. I think the biggest thing, and not one, maybe not the biggest thing, one of the biggest things is this, and I and I tweeted this as well. The Giants and Joe Judge are the Anthony Lynn Chargers oh, of last year. Wow. Ding. The the LA Chargers in in Herbert's rookie year were a good head coach away, or you know, a good head coach and just being able to win games in the final minute. They lost almost every single one of how many of those games they have decided by six points or less that was decided in the last two minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. I think they had six of them and they went one and five. They were a good head coach away last year from being a playoff team in Herbert's rookie season. And now we're seeing the fruits of the labor of a team now that has another year under their belt with a different head coach and a seemingly different mindset in terms of being able to win games in the final minute. We, we knock Pete, we knock the NBA for being a game of so many regular season games that you don't got to watch it until the final five minutes. You can make the case about the NFL for some of these games. Yeah. We just love it so much. And there's all these games on at once that we don't care. Exactly. But think about how many games come down to the final minute. Mm -hmm. You're the final two possessions, which is why red zone is the most beautiful thing in the world. And think about how bad the giants have been in the final two minutes this year. That week one didn't matter. The last two weeks. (laughs) <laughs> Every year in the last two weeks now, back yeah, to back. It's true. Field goals as time expires to lose. Yeah. Well, I think I think we got to move on. We're getting we're getting long here already. That it's great, I just, it's you a could, great conversation on the Giants there. Unfortunately, great conversation about some not so great stuff. But we we did great, Pat. Me and you get a passing grade on that on those assessments. I'll tell you what. That's true. I just <laughs> I still can't believe it. I still can't believe I thought this team was going to win the NFC East this year. Hey man, the NFC East is wonky, but. Right now, the Cowboys are the freaking head honcho. Tip your cap. So far, so good for those Dallas Cowboys. Uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll spend more time on them. We've been kind of mentioning them. We're we're weaving them into the conversation today, but maybe we'll spend some more time on them next week if they uh, continue to to show out. So let's talk about the and Jets for like. Oh, what do you got? I was just saying, and Dallas did that too again tonight without like four starters on the defensive side of the football. No Demarcus Lawrence on the IR. Neville Gallimore's on the IR. Their middle linebacker, Keanu Neal, had COVID. Their starting safety was out. So they have been impressive. They've been super impressive. Yeah, they have. They have. And they've played two really good teams and apparently a team that we think is bad because they beat them so good in, in the Eagles. So so good start for the Cowboys. They're looking like the uh, heavy favorites to walk away with this division now. Um, all right, let's talk about the Jets for a couple minutes here. Again, not much to say here. This team is not ready to win. We all know this, right? So it's not... 
type of thing. We're going to get all worked up. Oh, my God, they're terrible. Blah, blah, blah. We're not going to do that. They're not ready to win. Zach Wilson looked really bad. Again, really bad. The offense looked really bad in general. They got smoked by the Broncos. Are there any silver linings, or is this all about getting to the next week and hoping that there's growth for Zach Wilson, hoping that there's growth for the offense? Because the defense, again, you know, they gave up 26 points, and they look good, no. But they were not terrible. Like, they didn't make it a cakewalk for the Broncos all day. So... Are there any silver linings for this Jets? Uh, if you're if you're talking to a Jets fan that's real down and just having a terrible day, and you want to make them feel better, what do you, what are you telling them, Pat? At least Zach Wilson's not out for the year. Mm. That's about it, right? And I said that numerous times already. This year is a positive for the Jets if Zach Wilson doesn't land on the IR. Even that that just seems like a consolation now because there is something systematically wrong with the Jets franchise. Like and I know if I'm Giants your friend, fans, I'm still like you, feeling pretty bad right now. I'm just like gonna let I know. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't. I can't make <laughs> you feel better. I can't make any Jets fans feel better because I, you make a great point. Like the Giants feel like they're like head and shoulders above the Jets when they've had the same record over the last five years, just because they won two Super Bowls uh, over the last fifteen years. But it just feels like the Jets are that much more of a laughing stock. Like you know. You're saying, is there some silver lining? Like, is there some growth? Like, you waited three years for some growth with Sam Darnold, only to find out that it wasn't him at all. Mm. That it was your head coach. Mm. That it was your, G- yeah, that it was Adam Gase, the worst head coach in history. I love that thing. Everywhere he's left, the, the team won like the title the next year. The high school team he coached. Even his high school after he team. Left, after he left LSU, they won a national championship. After he leaves uh, the Titans, you know, they become a playoff team. And it's just, it's everywhere Bron- he was, Broncos, everywhere yeah. he's been. Yeah. After except, they, after he leaves the Broncos, they win the, the Super Bowl. Except for the Jets, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you think, you know, you thought that it was Sam Darnold. No, it was your head coach and McCagnan. Now you think, okay, well, is it, is it Zach Wilson who's a bust? Or maybe it's the fact that Jets fans have been so readily just grasping onto any straw that is thrown their way, grasping onto any life vest that they're going to believe that the next guy is going to be the one who are we to say Robert Sala is not a terrible head coach. He's bald. He's jacked. He says the right things. Joe judge is the same exact thing. He says the right things. Except he looks uh, like a terrible head coach. He's so chubby and has got weird hair. He is chubby and has weird hair. He's not bald and jacked like Robert Sala, <laughs> but he's, you know, he says the right things at the Belichick Saban coaching tree. He's been a terrible head coach through two years. Yeah. Robert Sala, who's to say he's a great head coach. He had, he's a great defense coordinator with San Francisco. And who's to say that Joe Douglas is a good GM. Oh God. How many draft picks from him? Have we already seen blow up in his face? What the fuck is going on with Denzel Mims? Can somebody please explain to me that situation? Mm. as to why the kid is not seeing the field. You're telling me, you're telling me that Braxton Berrios and some of these other losers, Keelan Cole that are touching the field, they're better than Denzel Mims. They're better that, that he doesn't even get a chance. Like I need to know what happened or what is happening with Denzel Mims, that he's not seeing the field. That is a wasted draft pick. It is a wasted draft pick. On Ashton Davis, he's terrible. He doesn't do anything for me. The offensive line, absolutely awful. Worse than the NFL. 
the absolute worst in the NFL. And Greg Van Rotten, he's all, he's kind of half right in saying this, saying, you know, Zach Wilson needs to get rid of the ball quicker. But then he also says, you know, we need to like the, you can have, you can obviously play that to your liking if you want to cut the clipping off there. But he also goes on to say, you know, we need to protect him better as well. Yeah. You think so? Cause the kid's getting crushed every time he drops back that and the fact that he's got open receivers and he's bouncing the ball to them on the opening drive. Then you've got receivers that are dropping wide open passes right into the defender's hands. Like out of half the interceptions Zach Wilson has thrown this year, they haven't even been his fault. They've been dropped pass interceptions, but he's also like thrown a lot of bad passes and he has looked lost. And this jets offense can't score any points. You know, we, we don't know what to make of week one and week two results. The, the second half of week one, everybody thinks, oh, yeah, he's going to – Zach Wilson's going to ride that momentum. I said, that's the reason I took the Patriots. And he scored – they scored six points against a Patriots defense that then goes up and gives up 28 against New Orleans. Granted, one was a pick six. And then they get shut out by the Denver Broncos. Like, how can you have any faith that this team is going in the right direction when it is – kicking the balls after kicking the balls and the, and the, already the best defensive player was gone before the season even started with Carl Lawson, who knows when you're getting Makai Becton back. Like, I'm sorry, Pete, if you're a Jets fan, I have nothing positive for you. Yeah, I, feel I have terrible. nothing positive for this fan base because there is nothing positive to look at other than that. Zach Wilson is not on the IR. If I am that Jets fan that you were supposed to help out here, I'm, I feel terrible right now. I, I'm sorry. I told you. I can't. I can't do it. There is no silver lining to pick out here with this team. Like, give me one. Give me Give me. So, give me. me somebody that's played well. Braxton Berrios. <laughs> yeah. Braxton Berrios, I guess. Two catches for 26 yards. No, week one. Or even, week Corey, even Corey Davis. Corey Davis, how many passes is he going to drop? How many passes is he going to drop? I don't know, man. I got nothing to say. I got nothing to say about the Jets. My, I guess I guess the defense, only... the fact that the defense doesn't give up 40 points a game, that's, right. the, no, that's the a positive you want to Looks like all right, you know? This looks okay. Defense has been okay. It's been all right. For as many tur- for as many turnovers as the Jets have gifted that's, other teams. That's what I'm and they saying. only gave up and they gave up what? 26 and 26 in back-to-back yeah. weeks. That could be a lot. That should be a lot worse. Should be. Could be easily. So there's so, your hey. so, there's your silver lining. The defense is okay. The defense doesn't suck. Tip your cap and you walk away and your buddy sits on a bench in a park alone and just cries. I just, and again, I know expectations were on the ground, on the ground, or they should have been. And that's why I told everybody from the beginning, the all gas, no brakes, pump the, pump the brakes on the offensive expectations on a new head coach, a new OC, a rookie QB, and a terrible offensive line, pump the brakes on them. So the expectations should have been on the ground. I just don't know where the expectations, like how, how this team raises them. I don't know how it happens. Oh boy! All right, we need to move on. I don't know. We got. I got nothing else on the Jets, and I, I just. It's honestly, it's depressing. It's more depressing. We. I think what we need to do moving forward is separate the Giants and Jets segments, so we can get depressed separately and not all at once. Of just like ultra depression. That's what we need to do moving forward. Yeah, um, they, they they ruined the mo- they ruined the mood of this podcast. Actually, I'm sorry. Yeah, they like, did. we have to. We got to talk about him. We got We're in New York. We got to talk about him, dude. hundred percent. And actually what's funny is our next segment, which we're about to do right now to finish out the podcast here. We're going to talk about him again. Cause, and I, I can go, I can go first here. Our new favorite segment, regret nothing. I regret nothing. No regrets. Oh my God. I have Please one tell regret. Me. 
Yeah. I bet on the Jets this week. What was I thinking? What yeah. the hell was I thinking, Pat? I thought I had this great idea. The sharp money was on the Jets. And all this stuff about, oh, the defense has been competing. They're going to keep it close. How about a little garbage time touchdown? They couldn't even get a garbage time first down, let alone a garbage time touchdown. Absolutely pathetic. So I'm not going to start off the segment by saying that I regret nothing. I'm going to start off the segment by saying I regret betting on the Jets. Now, granted, thankfully the other four picks worked out okay, but I regret betting on the Jets. So now... We'll go to our favorite segment. I regret nothing! Where we talk about our picks and plays and fantasies and football moments throughout our Sunday and Monday and decide if we have any regrets or if we regret some things. I obviously do regret betting on the Jets, but I do have some things where I will say... I regret nothing! I regret nothing about betting on the Baltimore Ravens. Now, that is a little counterintuitive because they gave me a whole lot of agita. But hey, sometimes you got to get a little lucky. And I like the process there. I like what I was doing. The Lions did the Lions thing where they competed incredibly hard and, you know, made it hard on Lamar Jackson. But I bet on that game, made the pick on Friday, and I made it with good thought process, in my opinion. There wasn't eight guys listed on the COVID list yet. There wasn't even more injuries added to the already terrible injury list. So... As far as the thought process, as far as trusting that thought process, I, I feel good about putting the Ravens in the bird special teaser. I feel lucky and blessed that it actually hit. But I do not regret making that pick on Friday when then on Saturday there was like eight more guys not playing for the Ravens. So in that regard, I regret nothing. And that's that. So that was one for me, Pat. You want You want to start off with anything that you regret or don't regret? What do you want to start off with? I, I regret a ton. Honestly, <laughs> I regret a ton this week, man. One, I regret backing the Giants as a team that was going to win the NFC East, as a team that was going to be successful. I regret thinking Joe Judge was a good head coach. I regret thinking that Jason Garrett could lead a capable offense. Um, I regret in the middle of making my Bills teaser minus two and a half and the over, I literally stopped the video and then switch to Bills minus two and a half and the under, which cost me a game. I regret also, I said this could be the upset of the week. The Detroit Lions are going to beat Baltimore. I regret not just taking the spread on that one and, and not doing the teaser and instead thinking that Baltimore was going to be able to put up enough points for the over. I regret that and not just taking the Lions tease, uh, the, the Lions spread. So I, I regret a lot. I do regret a lot this week. If there's one thing I don't regret, I would say from out of my picks, it was the Patriots. I mean, look, they just played a bad game. I still don't think the Saints are that good. I still think Jameis is terrible. Um, you know, you had Jonu Smith who literally just threw a pass that he caught into a Saints defender's hands, and Jameis Winston just yeets a fucking pass, <laughs> no look, and finds Marquez Calloway somehow. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> So I don't regret that game. That's the one thing I guess I don't regret was the Patriots. Other than that, it was a week full of regrets, Pete. Um, but yeah, one thing I don't regret, the Patriots bet. Bad button placement on me there. Let me do it one more time. I regret nothing. And how about this? I don't know if this is going to work. Let me see if I can play this. Nope. It's a GIF. Has no sound. Never mind. I, I'm going to work on Are you getting... looking to play the Winston? No, I, I have a Ron Swanson. I regret everything, but I can't find a one-off video of it, so... You know, we'll work on that for next week. We'll get it. We'll get it IT on it to steal a line from uh, Ryan Rosillo. 
IT is me working yeah. on YouTube. But we'll we'll figure that out. I have that. that what are you thinking, Winston? Winston, who's Winston? I think it's Jameis Winston. I think you're gonna play Jameis Winston gif, the one of him. Oh, going. oh, oh. <laughs> you know my trainer told me to be prepared this yeah. week. No, you know I what? should probably keep that one. I should probably keep that button on the uh, on the ready as well. But now for this segment, I need something that says that we do regret something, right? It's not always I regret nothing. Sometimes we have some regrets, and uh, I'll try to get that Ron Swanson bit there for for next week, I guess. Uh, but yeah, the Patriots won. I love that Johnny Smith threw that ball to the defender and then James Winston yeeted a touchdown to Marcus Callaway. That was, that was rough. Oh my God. All right. Uh, on to my next one. I have the Minnesota Vikings where I can confidently say three weeks in a row, Pat two and one betting on the Minnesota Vikings um, on a scale of one to absolutely psychopath insane. How crazy would I be? to bet on the Vikings at home again, plus two versus the Browns. <laughs> I think they can win that game. I think they can win that game, man. This Vikings team, the one thing that I, I kind of felt good about and part of the reason why I bet on them against the Seahawks, this offense can freaking move, bro. They got the ball going down the field. Kirk Cousins, eight touchdowns, no picks. Looking great, almost 1,000 yards through uh, through three games, over 900. Like, this offense can really move the ball. If they get semi-competent defensive play, they can play with anybody in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, that game is obviously going to be their O-line against the Browns' pass rush. And if Kirk Cousins, if they draw up a game plan for Kirk Cousins where he's getting the ball out of his hand quick and not getting crushed and crunched and eaten for lunch four or five times by the Browns, by Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney, I think they, they can pick apart a Browns secondary that has had its problems this year. You know, that, that's that been masked yeah. by playing, by going up against one of the worst game plans and worst performances I've seen in my entire life from, from Nagy and the Bears this oh past my God. week. Matt Nagy could have a good, good portion on this segment, and it wouldn't be anything to do with no regrets. It would be with all the regrets. Yeah, Nagy, Nagy, whatever the hell his stupid name is. I mean, look, <laughs> Brown, you know, Browns, Dumb obviously, they, they gave up a ton of points to the Chiefs. They were on the verge of being on the ropes against Tyrod Taylor and the Texans. So I'm, as much as I loved the start from the Browns, I, again, I've said it, I'm not ready to buy the Super Bowl hype. Not yet, not by a long shot. And this is going to be one of those, you know, this is the classic cliche measuring stick game for both of these teams. Where are they really at? You know, when you're going up against a Browns team for the Vikings that is expected to win 11 to 12 games, get to the playoffs. And same thing now for the Browns. This is a team that they can easily beat. If they're at the level that a lot of people and me are hoping they're at, but they can also easily lose that game, especially on the road. So that's going to be a really good game. And I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't blame you for betting the Vikings yet again. I might just have to do it, dude. I might just for the fun, the fun sake. You of might it. have to bet them all 17, all 18, well, 17 games for them. You hey, might have to bet them all 17 games they play. They've covered twice, bro. It's not crazy. I mean, there's a, a way to look at this game against the Browns too, where the Vikings have this pass offense that if they just rip a good drive or two early and Baker Mayfield has to play catch up and they kind of go away from their bread and butter, yeah, it, it can be a really tough game. one. Yeah, and like, you know, Nick Chubb, 84 yards last week, a quiet day for him, you know, just a quiet 84. Kareem Hunt looked fantastic. They can run the shit out of the ball. But if they get behind, what's going to happen? That's always been the question about Baker Mayfield. It's always been a question about this offense. And it might end up being a question again this, this week if uh, the Vikings can... You know, shock the world again. <laughs> shock. I'm like overplaying the Vikings side, but I, I'm loving it. I'm having a lot of fun with that. 
Um, all right. We'll see what happens. We'll have our picks again. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the picks. I, I mean, I ironically, on last thing on the I regret nothing take here, I put on the comments of my picks, these picks were made on Friday night, a.k.a. before the Ravens injuries and a.k.a. before the Dalvin Cook injury, but I stuck with it because, like, I wasn't re-recording the videos. You know what I mean? It was just too late for that. I ain't trying to do it again. So I stuck with it. I could have easily was like, yo, I'm going to rewrite this pick or blah, blah, blah. Nah, I rode and I felt good, so... Last but not least, one more time. So, uh, yeah, creds to you, Petey Peps, for that, man. And creds to you also. Big shout out to the kid here for fucking putting those videos together. It's a lot of hard work. And I know you are a your savant and you, oh, uh, oh. you're passionate and you care about the game and you care about the people. So, for everybody that follows along and sees those pics on Instagram um, and social media and everywhere else you pump them, man, that's uh, obviously you're, uh, you're putting a lot of weight on your back. Dude. You know? And Put again, the team on your back, though. Maybe we'll end every episode with this because shout out to you, man. Freaking play by play for Rutgers at the fan, b- like being a normal human being and mixing in times to get your picks in. So it's freaking awesome. I believe I am now 10 and 5. You would be at seven. I'm seven and eight. I'm seven, under 500. And, seven and eight. And I have a strong feeling we'll be back to 500 or above next week. That combines us to 17 and 13. Correct. That's math. That's, there we go. 17 go. and 13 math, through three weeks. Not too shabby, bro. We're doing okay. We're doing okay. You carried me for a portion of last year. I'm just trying to return the favor. We're both ending up on top. Trust the process. We'll be back next week. Of course, Pat Boyle, any last words? Oof. We've any said a lot already. Words. Yeah, we've said so we many words. You don't have any more words for me? <laughs> I got Thursday night. I'm probably taking the Jaguars to cover against Cincinnati. Well, we didn't talk about how bad the rookie quarterbacks have been. Specifically, we talked about some. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. I was going to say, you know, it's funny that the best rookie quarterback this year has been Davis Mills. (laughs) 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 That's like not – I'm like half kidding. Like I'm actually half serious there. No, that's like pretty good. Trey Lance, there's no sample size there yet. So he has maybe, yeah, some touchdown plays here. It doesn't count. Davis Mills so far leading the power rankings for rookie quarterbacks. That's great. Um, all right, Yankee fans, I just want to say sorry. We haven't hit baseball yet. Football season's been busy. We haven't had time to double up an episode uh, and talk baseball. Huge weekend for the Yankees. I know that was awesome for them. A couple more really important games coming up. So we'll keep an eye on that. Tell us your thoughts. At Subway Sports Talk, you know what to do. Shout out to y'all. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, rate, review, the whole nine. Pat Boyle, you're the best. My name is Pete Kennedy. Subway Sports Talk. Cheers.